This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, transhumanism and fictional robots. Transhumanism is always taking uh, the human being experience to the next level through technology. It be anything from exoskeleton suits to brain implants. It, you know, you're probably looking at in the next 10 to 15 years, being able to upload large chunks of your brain uh, into a kind of uh, a consciousness of some sort in the cloud. This is where a lot of the stuff gets really fuzzy. And it's, you know, we're all in the wild west. Nobody knows where the laws are going to end up. I mean, I think death, the version of death is definitely going to change as we get into the future. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It helps out the show. And we just like to hear from you. So leave us a comment on the app you're listening to or leave us a voicemail at 316-519-7719. So our first guest is a leader in the transhumanist movement. He is a published author who has wrote extensively on transhumanism. He's a futurist, and he's also ran for political office, both governor of California and president of the United States. And he believes that transhumanism will go mainstream this decade as we continue to bring about new technologies that could make us more than just human. This is transhumanist Zoltan Istvan. Real quick, I have to apologize. I did something to parts of the audio in this interview that make it sound computerized, and I just could not figure out how to fix it. So... Please bear with me because I think the things that Zoltan talks about are very interesting and definitely something that I think that we have to think about moving forward. The word transhumanism, like what does that mean to you? Really what it is nowadays, transhumanism is a social movement of many millions of people around the world that want to use science and technology to radically modify the human body, modify the human mind. It be anything from exoskeleton suits to brain implants, even the things like driverless cars or you know, robots inside your house. But transhumanism is always taking uh, the human being experience to the next level through technology. I guess the question that jumps out immediately, right? Like if we're modifying and changing ourselves, our bodies, 
are we fundamentally changing who we are or is this kind of just the next step in our evolution? Well, that's a tough question. I mean, people are always worried in transhumanism that we're going to become some kind of cyborg entity and be so different. But I don't think we're going to lose our inherent values. I think the thing you and I value right now is that, well, you know, we're kind to one another. We care about each other. Um, you know, we have the best each other's best interests involved. I think a lot of the mutual ethics and morals will probably pass on no matter what type of things the human being becomes in the next hundred or 1,000 years or whatever it is. So even if I put a bunch of chip implants in my brain and I have a cyborg arm and a synthetic you know, heart or prosthetic leg, I don't think that's going to fundamentally change me much. Maybe when I upload my mind into, for example, an artificial intelligence, that will become something substantially different. But even then, I still think I'm going to retain my core values because I don't want to lose those. So even if transhumanism does changes, I don't think we lose a lot of what it means to be a human being. How close are we to this, right? Like we, you know, the thing that I think of, I'm a Star Wars person. So I think of like Luke losing his hand and he gets the robotic hand. I feel like people would be okay with that. But how close are we to the idea of like, I'm going to upload my consciousness into the cloud? Like, where are we in that kind of possession of this making, becoming a reality? Sure. Well, you know, about seven or eight years ago, they had the first telepathy between a person and uh, France and India, where they said hello to each other through the mind using brainwave reading headsets. Today, you can basically read a novel um, using this type of brainwave interface technology. So, I mean, it's, it's completely like just gone through the roof and how fast it's increasing. So if you take that trajectory of science, you know, technology out, it, you know, you're probably looking at in the next 10 to 15 years, being able to upload large chunks of your brain uh, into a kind of a consciousness of some sort in the cloud, at least one that mimics you very closely. But is that actually you? I think that's still 30 to 50 years away. So we're able to just have like a perfect identical version of ourselves are we ready for that, though? Well, I mean, that's the that's that's the million dollar question, and the answer is probably no. <laughs> you know, I'm uh, currently a graduate student at the University of Oxford, and a lot of the ethicists are in the philosophy department where I'm at is, are worrying about these issues, and uh, most people don't think we are because technology has increased so much faster than morality, than the development of morality, and so much faster also in terms of politics. This is why you have. You know, presidential candidates and debates, they never talk about artificial intelligence. They never talk about genetic evidence. They never talk about radically enhancing the human being because it's just too wild. It'll cost them votes. But the reality is, in Silicon Valley, this is all they do, all they talk about. This is where the biggest companies in the world are, where all the money is. So, yes, we're not. We're probably not ready for a lot of this stuff, but it, because capitalism works the way it does, it's probably going to come. So the big question is really, what can we do in that? You know, we just need more ethicists to get involved and more politicians to really speak their minds, try to come up with regulatory or regulatory framework for a lot of these wild and, you know, absolutely insane ideas that are out there that are going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years. I hope this doesn't come off as rude or offensive or anything like that, but I'll just be direct to kind of get the point across in my mind, right? Like 10, 20 years ago, if you came forward and I was hearing this, I'd be like, this guy, what are you talking about? Now I'm like, whoa, we got to start we got to figure this out. Is there any worry in your mind that like by the time we finally do this, it's too late? Well, to be honest with you, the big worry is not 
about whether we do this too late. The biggest worry is who does it first? Because in the last 10 years, I've seen China take the lead in a lot of these technologies. And one of the reasons is because China is a, is a secular nation. They, they don't have a kind of a Judeo-Christian framework that would, for example, stop them from doing genetic editing or stop them from trying to create a cyborg person with an AI mind and these kinds of things. They don't have those same kind of cultural baggage that the United States and, and other uh, Western countries have. And so the question isn't, in my mind, so much should we do? The question is, who does it first? And who does it first is actually going to kind of lead the, the world and the way forward. So we have to be very, you know, even Vladimir Putin has said uh, from Russia that, you know, a, whoever controls AI is going to end up controlling the world. The last thing we want is him to, to think like that and control an AI. We have to um, get our politicians to pick up this ball. Whether we like these radical technologies like genetic editing and artificial intelligence, we better be the first ones to create it, the first ones to lead it forward in the world, because it's much better if democracy leads it than, let's say, a totalitarian government like China. You talked about this a little bit, the idea of religion getting into it, right? And that's a big, that is that is a thing in the United States, to put it lightly, right? Like, how can we adjust the idea that, no, but God created us this way. You're messing with this. You're messing with him. Yeah, no, you know, as I've traveled across the country talking to people about technology and transhumanism specifically, it really is divided along lines religion. Most people think, most Christians think the body is a temple created by God, and that temple is not to be messed with. Whereas transhumanists believe that we can overcome death, we can have God-like characteristics through technology, we can overcome these things. And then somewhere in between is everyone else, you know, who's like, well, we like you know, modern medicine, and we, if we lose an arm, for example, fighting in a war in Afghanistan, we'd like uh, that, that person to have a robotic arm so that they can play the piano again or, or hold their wife or grab a beer or whatever, whatever it is. So somewhere in between, we have to find the middle ground. What I try to tell people is that, you know, if Jesus was going around the world healing people, healing the sick, making the blind see, these are very transhumanist traits. I mean, transhumanism is leading the charge to overcome blindness. Transhumanism has already 100% overcome um, deafness because we have cochlear implants if people want to have them. So, you know, if you look at it from a medical perspective, especially helping disabled people, senior citizens, then I think a lot of uh, Christians will accept transhumanism as a proper method forward. But you just have to be careful you can leave out the godlike stuff. As soon as you start talking about godlike stuff and becoming enhanced, you know, like beings that, you know, then I think a lot of people get scared. So I kind of try to tone it down a little bit, uh, unless I'm trying to cause a ruckus. To, to, uh, to get more and more people interested in the movement. Because in the end of the day, we're just interested in people's health and their ability to live the best life. Yeah, sometimes that best life is going to be filled with technology. This may be kind of pie-in-the-sky stuff, right? But does this get really complicated in the sense that, look, the Supreme Court has said that corporations are people. If I've got a robotic left arm, is that a person? Does it have rights that aren't, that are different from mine? Who owns that arm? Do I own the arm? Does the corporation who owned, who made the arm own the arm? Like how does, how's that, how's that going to work? Yeah. And in an emergency, who controls that arm? Right. Uh, will the government have some kind of overrides, you know, thing and you're just about to like do something, you know, I mean, yeah, this is, this is, that's why I said again and again to, to young people going into the world, what professions that I say, go into cybersecurity because Whatever happens, technology is increasing. We're going to need more and more uh, autonomy from people that control this technology. But 
I think, you know, it'll probably be like your iPhone where you own the phone to some extent. You have all the privileges over it, whatever technology it is. And, um, and you know, you can utilize it in that way. But then, you know, there are a lot of people that are already having implants put inside their body and whatnot. And yes, they own the actual implant, but they don't own the technology. And that technology can then be upgraded while it's in your body just through Wi-Fi signals and whatnot. And this becomes a... You know, a, a very challenging scenario of privacy, ownership, and, and you know, the new world, I guess. Uh, but I, I think as long as we maintain our sense of uh, ownership, self-ownership, I think we're going to be fine. We're just going to insist that the technology we put inside ourselves actually belongs to us. But that becomes a little tricky because now you have, you know, for example, Alexa will record a conversation of a husband and wife and then use that in a divorce court or something. That's, you know, wild. This is where a lot of the stuff gets really fuzzy. And it's, you know, we're all in the wild west. Nobody knows where the laws are going to end up. I, I wrote about a piece where a, a woman claimed that she was raped in virtual reality and that the rape was a real rape in terms of legal justice for that person. This story happened in Australia. The brand new ideas that no court has, has any laws in the books for. So we're, we're writing history as, as, you know, as it happens here in many ways. When we kind of get into this, right, like how, how can we balance the fairness aspect of it in the rich people are going to have the bionic implants and the lower income people, well, you got nothing. Sorry, man. Right? Like how do you kind of balance the societal inequities of all of that as we get going where some people have this and other people, you don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's one of my primary concerns. And I just hope I'm not going to end up being an advocate for some transhumanist movement that really leaves the world a giant dystopia, you know, in 50 years. Um, you know, I'm a big supporter of something called the universal basic income for, a, a, for the very reason that I just think if you need to create a floor for people to at least have enough to eat and shelter and the kinds of health care and things like that. But outside of that, I think it's really up to a lot of the very rich people, the billionaires and the government to try to make sure that the technology is spread evenly across the side. The good thing, though, is that like a cell phone, um, cell phone technology over time does become increasingly very cheap. And even, you know, in the most remote villages in Africa, people have cell phones. What they still don't have, though, is clean water or enough food. So I'm hopeful that technology will the transhumanist technology will make its way through every level of society. That doesn't mean, though, that we're going to have equality and it doesn't mean we're going to have a good, just, fair society. That requires people, uh, billionaires, government regulation, people making solid, hard decisions that may take some money off the top line, but really help out even the class of society so we're on a better point. Where is the kind of, like, we're based in the United States, and most of our audience is in the United States, but we have listeners all over the place. Where do kind of countries and areas, like, where do they rank in terms of, all right, they've got the best scientific development, they've got the best societal, like, who's kind of at the forefront of this, and where does, like, the U.S. rank in kind of it? Well, I mean, ground zero for transhumanism and this technology is still Silicon Valley. There's no question that they're leading the charge. Um, and, and, but I would say China is catching up very quickly. I mean, a massive, you know, like kind of national declaration to develop AI by 2030, and they may end up surpassing us. We've been going back and forth on who has the fastest supercomputer every year. Like, they take us over, we take them over. Um, on another hand, there's a lot of weird stuff happening, like, 
a lot of biotechnology companies are no longer doing their experiments in the United States because the the process is like eight to 10 years to even get a drug through the pipeline. So what they do is they'll go down to Honduras, or they'll go down to El Salvador, or they'll go to somewhere in Eastern Europe, and they'll do the trials, which will take half or a quarter of the time. And then those companies will essentially move there, but still have the drugs come out. These are radical drugs that can cure cancer or what hepatitis, whatever. So that's happening too. So it's not even really, um, you know, where where transhumans are trying to start the companies and be located. A lot of times it's they go for the environment, business environment that's simplest to them and um, and then try to uh, utilize that so that that's the, uh, the best place for them to develop their companies. Right. We've talked a lot about the kind of the benefits of this, I guess. Like what are the what do you when you look at it like, man, we've really got to make sure this doesn't happen. The, the benefits are, are innumerable. I mean, transhumanists will make people live longer. It will bring more prosperity to their lives. I mean, science and technology have a really great history. If you look back hundreds of years, like we just don't die from cavities anymore. People used to die all the time from an infection from a cavity. So science and technology is a really good history of making people live better, longer, and with more prosperity. And so we believe transhumanism will continue in that vein. Therefore, it should be supported. The question, though is some of these technologies are so radical, like artificial intelligence controlling nuclear weapons, for example, um, or genetic editing, where you can genetically edit yourself to have a smarter brain than your neighbor. Is that fair? You know, um, especially if you can afford it and you can't, you know. Um, so these are some of the more fundamental questions I think uh, ethicists, philosophers, and transhumanists have to address before they sort of happen. But I think that's that's the big dilemma uh, right now happening in the world, to so figure that all out. Um, are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yes, of course. The, your vision of the future, right? Like when you look at what you think the future could be, how far away do you think that we are from that right now? Well, you know, it really changes. I think I tend to think of it in terms of 10 to 15 years and then 30 to 50 and 100 years. So 10 to 15 years, we got some big progress happening on the horizon with life extension. Uh, that means 3D bioprinting organs, artificial hearts, um, genetic editing therapy so that we don't get, uh, you can't get HIV or maybe you can even make it so you can't get monkeypox, things like that. So I think um, that's the 10, 15 year window where we develop a lot of things to make us live better off. But that's not very exciting. I think what really gets exciting is when you start talking about uploading your consciousness, something like I mentioned earlier, probably 20 to 40 years away, we will start experimenting with that. People will start trying to do that stuff. But it gets really wild when you get to the 100-year window because then you're either virtual avatars, living in the machines, maybe you're off in space, maybe you have multiple cells. You know, like, it's not just don't think yourself just you upload yourself and then you're in the machine. Actually, your human body will almost certainly still be here. Uh, and when you upload yourself, you may not just upload one version of yourself. You may have 100 copies, might be 100 Zoltans running around doing his thing. And um, so and, and that becomes like, what's your family then? Well, all these little mini-me's. But, you know, the, the transhumanist world is really bizarre when you start taking it out that many years because AI and consciousness expansion, your brain is probably going to have, you know, a, a thousand or five thousand times more intelligence than we have now, maybe a million times and progressing at a much quicker rate than before. If you think what's happening with technology now is quick, just imagine how Moore's Law is going to apply in, in 30 or 40 years when technology is still doubling. So I think we're all at some point have to put in implants or have brainwave headsets 
that connect us to all the machines around us just for convenience sake. But I, I think, you know, there'll always probably be a human left over somewhere on planet Earth. But if you don't embrace technology, there's no question they're going to get left behind. And um, and I think final on a final note, the, the, the 30 to 50 year future also involves getting off planet. You see people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos pushing these space companies. We're just at the very beginning of this. We want to create bodies that are able to withstand pressures outside Earth's um, system, environmental system, so that we can go off planet. And no, not just outside our solar, uh, inside our solar system, but really into the galaxies. See if there's other life out there. See if anything else is worth uh, humanity's time to kind of ponder. So I think Getting off planet is going to be another huge transhumanist mission. You know, one of the things that I've always seen about is like the idea of kind of being immortal. And for me personally, I guess I'll ask this from a personal – like I don't really want to be immortal. Do you think that we could really handle that, the idea of living forever? I also am afraid of immortality. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I want to have the ability to overcome death and the specter of death is a, a huge negative influence in my life. But I also want to retain the freedom to end my life if I want. And, and maybe, you know, you have to understand, like, it, it's not just, there's even transhuman technologies like cryonics out there where you could uh, be brought back to life even today at some other point in the future if they develop the science. And then you choose to live 10 more years and say, yeah, this isn't for me and I, I want to go back to sleep. I mean, I think death, the version of death is definitely going to change as we get into the future. We may, like, wake up every 100 years, check in. And then decide it's not for us. And some people may decide to like say, look, you can never bring me back or never resurrect me or completely take away so I'm just ashes or something like that. But honestly, with 3D printing technology and the different scanning of your brain, we can already start to scan memories. So if you can start doing that, you can 3D print out anything, including the exact replica of yourself. And you may say, oh, it's not me. But that you won't know that. It will still 100% think it's you. And so you get into this weird, you know, like <laughs> Hollywood time machine kind of, uh, I guess, movie scape where no one's really sure what is real and who you are. But the reality is you're probably going to want to live and experience it even if you don't want to live forever. So I like the idea of living as long as possible, but I also like the idea of having the possibility to say no to living forever. Again, I'm not even sure that's possible given the way that we're going to have these scanning technologies and ability to 3D bioprint ourselves. There may be happening do not resurrect clauses in our wills uh, here in the next 50 or 100 years because everybody will be able to be brought back to life, at least as they were upon their moment of death, just because we've scanned down to the atomic level what every single memory and brain component and, and blood vessel was in their body. I don't like the idea of living forever, but I do like the idea of like being able to check in every 100 years. Like, that would be pretty cool. Then I'd be worried about somebody, like, accidentally deleting the server one day or something like that. Um, 2024 is coming, man. You going you gonna to go for it again? So, you know, I'm currently a graduate student at the University of Oxford. I think I'm going to finish that degree before I run for office again. It's, it's uh, given me a lot of insight into uh, the academic world. It's given me more credibility to being there. So I doubt I'm going to run in 2024. Um, uh, you know, I am watching politics, though. I'm watching the forward party, wondering if maybe there's going to be a, some type of candidacy possibilities uh, there and what Andrew Yang has done. Uh, I'm not really this moment uh, siding with any single party at the moment because I'm more of a science candidate. But it is possible I would run again in 2028. And um, I, uh, I, in fact, I probably almost certainly will. I just kind of feel like I should take care of my graduate studies first and take a break. I'd run a couple campaigns. They all did pretty well. 
but um, sometimes it's best to mash your resources, uh, gain a little bit more popularity in your field, and then try to uh, try to strike. What do you think of like, look, I, I feel like one of the early ventures into this, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't really know that much about this stuff. But I feel like one of the early ventures is kind of the metaverse. And that seems to have flopped pretty hard, at least right now. Do you think that is that a sign that this idea as a whole is not viable or just that we're not ready or just that we don't like Facebook? I guess, what do you kind of think about the whole metaverse idea? Well, well, to begin with, I think, you know, if we associate with Facebook, we're not going to like it. Facebook is, in my opinion, on the decline just because of management issues and just because of perception issues, right? You know, uh, I do think virtual reality holds huge promise, though. Um, I think another problem with virtual reality is kind of being tied into the crypto and blockchain market and whatnot. And, and, and look, that's fine. That's all very interesting stuff. But a lot of that hasn't actually had any practical value. I just recently gave a speech, though, in, in Second, not Second Life, it's a group called Spatial, and it was great. And about 100 people showed up, uh, and I was invited to this event. And I thought, wow, that's a lot easier than having to fly to uh, Europe to give a 30-minute talk and doing that. So I see a huge future in, in the virtual world just because the convenience sake. But they haven't made it enough where I, I really experience it even remotely the same as the physical world. So until they do that, maybe that'll be hat-net suits where you, know, you really put on full gear and it's not just the goggles. I don't know exactly what it is that's going to make it. Or maybe it's going to be some kind of like, you know, a uh, little beam that shows on you so you can be in the world, virtual world that measures all your movements and that way you can start immersing yourself and you feel like you're immersed. Um, I've done some virtual reality stuff like jumping off buildings and, you know, that would actually feel incredibly real. So if they can do that, then I think the metaverse will take off. But right now I feel it's just still a little too geeky and, and it doesn't feel that real to me. So I like the, the real world still. But, uh, you know, they're getting better every year at doing that. Um, and hopefully metaverse will not really be a Facebook association, but just become, a, you know, a technology association. Uh, through all these other companies. And then I think we'll be more, uh, you know, inclined to adapt it. But it has had a little bit of a shaky start. Um, but, you know, a lot of these technologies have shaky starts. And then all of a sudden, they, they finally figure out. I interviewed an ice climber one time. And he, well, the thing that he said is like, everybody thinks you're an idiot until they don't. And that's usually a sign that you're kind of on the right track, right? Like he said, if everybody thought I was crazy, then it's probably going to be worth me doing it. No, no. And, and this is happening all over. You know, like 10 years ago when I started really promoting transhumanism, a lot of people were like, oh, my God, this guy's had his mind. And now that AI and all these other things, like, for example, Yale University is reanimating uh, pig frames with electrode. They're recreating consciousness that on brain maps looks basically identical to the real consciousness of the living pig brain. So all of a sudden, we have another way, for example, to overcome death potentially. Um, and these are real experiments that are already taking place. If you had told somebody that just 15 years ago, they would have thought that was impossible and that was wacko and, you know, something crazy. So it always seems crazy, but you give something 10, 20, 30 years and really it catches up and all of a sudden, Lo and behold, you know, we're, we're in the transhumanist age. I'll, I'll be completely honest. When we first started this podcast four years ago, we interviewed a guy who was a futurist, and he talked about transhumanism, and I left being like, this guy's kind of crazy. And now I feel like, man, we better figure this out pretty fast because it's it's coming quick, right? 
Yeah. No, and let me just tell you, like the philosophy department at University of Oxford, uh, you know, if you had said 20 years ago, let's, we would, they would be debating artificial intelligence all day long and the ethics of it. That would have seemed completely insane to the oldest philosophy department in the world. And yet now today, I can tell you, the ethics of artificial intelligence are like literally on the tip of everyone's tongue there because they realize if you want to make a, a difference in the world of philosophy, in the world of where, where humanity is going, this is where expertise is needed. And there are massive changes, structural changes like that happening all around the world in all different types of you know, universities, nonprofits, governments, as people start grappling with the fact that, wow, technology is really the driver of, wor of the world and also of culture as well as the military. So whoever's not in control of that, whoever's not dealing directly with that is really missing the boat and will be left behind. Yeah. I interviewed a guy one time who was, I think he was a military general. He's like, you got two choices, get on the tank or get run over by the tank. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that. Last thing, man. Like if you were to kind of look at movies, TV shows, video games, all kinds of what, like what vision of which one would you say like, ooh, I think they got it right. Like that's probably what it would really be like. Hmm. You know, there's definitely movies. First off, I'm a huge fan of The Matrix, and I, I do think that there's a very strong chance that with mind uploading, we will come to a premise where you actually can live inside virtual worlds, so hopefully not powered by machines. Um, I think actually something very similar to Star Trek is probably the most likely, where we will eventually have genetic capabilities uh, to create all sorts of creatures. Those creatures will span out around the universe. And uh, and then, you know, humans will probably cyborgs and, and interact. Machines may actually go around the world and, and interact with them and have adventures and whatnot. And, and it's not that different than Star Wars. But I think if, if, if you have to ask me what's one of the most interesting movies out there right now, it's the movie Her. Um, and Her is the story of an AI that develops but decides it doesn't want to hang out with the human beings and ultimately leaves. And that's a very humbling, I think, thought. It could easily happen to people, even if we have minds that are sort of cyborg or have chip implants to try to connect with AI. Artificial intelligence in here in 20, 30, 40 years may just say, you know, we're going to lead you and go to the singularity. We're just not interested in your human race. It's almost like a, something, us looking at ants. You don't really take much of a, a care of ants because we just don't consider their brains worth you know focusing on except if you're an ant person or whatever but i think at some point ai becomes so smart they may not care about our little three pounds meat that we carry on our shoulders it's just not sophisticated enough for them and they will also leave us behind so i think the movie her is an excellent um, example of the, how technology could be very humbling for humanity in the long run that's pretty much all the questions that i have is there anything else that you think that we missed or you know people want to get involved want to learn more what what should they do well the one thing is um uh there was a documentary immortality or bust um that amazon prime has picked up that was made on my 2016 presidential campaign but it's really a, a movie uh about came out recently in 2020 uh, about transhumanism as a whole and i go around in a giant bus and this is everybody uh, all these transhumanists across the country exploring their personalities and trying to figure out, uh, you know, where the world's going to go. So if you have a chance, go to Amazon Prime and uh, or a lot of other places have it and watch Immortality or Bus. And other than that, if you're interested in transhumanism, Facebook, despite my not liking Facebook very much, has a ton of groups, a lot of Twitter groups as well now, or Twitter followers on transhumanism, or just Google it and you'll find a lot of stuff. I have a ton of books out there, eight books, Transhumanist Wager and whatever, so you can read some of my work. But Immortality or Bus, 
the documentary. It's just an hour and a half. It's a really fun way to explore transhumanism because we had a giant bus that was shaped like a coffin that we drove all across the country. Um, and that's how we campaigned for transhumanism during one of my presidential campaigns. I want to thank Zoltan so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have a link to him on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we have also included his information in the episode description. So one of our goals moving forward is to try and make this podcast a lot more interactive. And part of that is telling you about some podcasts that we really think are worth a listen. One of these is On the Edge with Andrew Gold. He's a former BBC journalist, and he interviews some of the world's most extreme and controversial people. Everyone from psychopaths, ex-scientologists, mafia detectives, undercover officers, drug dealers. There are some really interesting people. So if you'd really like to go inside and find out what makes some of the darkest minds tick, On the Edge with Andrew Gold is a great show. I personally like The Coffin Confessor, both of those episodes, because that was something that that I had never heard of before. And look, I, I really enjoyed this show. And if you get a chance, check it out. I think you will as well. So check out On the Edge with Andrew Gold on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, now let's bring in John Schull and get to the pointless part of the show. Would you want to be a cyborg or a robot? Like if they said, all right, we can replace this with a robot part, (laughs) would you be cool with that? (laughs) I mean, perverted 12-year-old John says, of course. Give me a robotic something. Uh, I mean, of course. Why Why wouldn't I? I mean, as long as I can have full control over whatever limb I is going to be a cyborg. I mean, I don't need it turning on itself. Okay, but we're not talking about like where somebody loses it and then they get a prosthetic. I mean, hey, this new model is available. You're going to trade in the left arm? Like, would you do that? Would you get it? Would you upgrade yourself? I, I I would, but you know what? The more I think about it, I don't think I would upgrade what you want to jump to, say, first. Like, everyone goes, yeah, I want the arm or maybe the, you know, maybe like an awesome eye or something. I think I would do like a like a back. Like, give me a, a back that doesn't hurt and that I'm not going to have any pain in. Like, that would be awesome. I wouldn't really want to replace the parts of me that I feel dictate my sensations with the world like my hands and feet arms legs eyes senses penis but in terms of like my back like yeah or my knees that's an easy choice shoulders like yeah replace that tomorrow so at what what age though what age do you think you would start to consider the replacement 40 or the upgrade i guess the upgrade as soon as i started to decline Soon as I was physically starting to like, as soon as things physically started to hurt a little bit or like this isn't working the way that it used to, which I would say that I'm at that age now where like I'll go to jump playing with my kids and like, wait a minute, that's a lot different. I would replace that now. I I would probably do it right around 40. What about like uploading yourself to the cloud? Would you be, do you think that, could you be like a fully digital person? Like, upload your consciousness 
Ooh, that's a, well, so my consciousness, even when physical me is gone, my consciousness would still be around for others to like look at forever. Right. Yeah. Well, I feel bad for whoever would see those images. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I, I'm, I'm remember, uh, was it a decade ago or whatever when, when the cloud was really becoming a thing and everybody was like, don't put pictures in there. Don't put this in there. They're going to get hacked and leaked. And, uh, I'm not scared of that at all. I mean, I, you know, bring on the hackers. I don't give a shit. No one gives a shit about like, if, you know, if regular person nudes are, are hacked, right? Like they're not looking for that on my phone. This is what worries me, I think, ultimately about this kind of technology, right? Is that we started out trying to have this philosophical discussion and then ultimately it came down to nudes in the cloud, right? <laughs> like we can see already see this with basically any technology that we have is that we are going to go to the most default use of it that we can, which is basically sex. Like we're going to upload ourselves to the cloud <laughs> and we're not going to do it to trans, you know, we're not going to do it to explore galaxies or universes or any kind of high flutin thing. No, we're going to use it to, for basically porn. Well, I mean, I, I think that if you think of most technology, uh, th that is ultimately what it ends up being a vessel for. Well, we are still human beings at the end of it, right? And like we have one basic function that is hardwired into us. <laughs> We're going to find a way to do that, whichever method that is. I think I would only want to live forever, maybe as, maybe, not that thing, but maybe as an observer, you know, just no one bother me, but I get to see history and time pass. Yeah, I think my ultimate answer would be I want to be thawed out every 25 years, <laughs> live for a year, then go back to sleep. All right. That was my question. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to some shout outs. Shout outs. Uh, we're going to make this nice and easy and quick today. So uh, Trey Regar, Jennifer Larson, Jessica Cunningham, Jonah Quinn, Dan Kusel, uh, Katrina Jorgensen, Stevie Jalea, David Ancelet, and Zach Hemerill. You all get the uh, the shout outs for today. Appreciate everyone like usual. Do you have two shirts on? Just real quick. <laughs> I, I, yes, I do. I do have two shirts on. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. First question for you is, uh, was that all you had on that? Were you not going to crack some joke? I just couldn't tell what was going on. For, for the... one, I wasn't sure if you had two shirts on or one. I have a polo and then uh, an undershirt on underneath that. So. Okay. Uh, for those of you who can't see this. Uh, all right. Would you uh, give up your favorite meal for life or have to eat your favorite meal every day for a year? Well, I mean, I pretty much do that already. So I would easily just eat my favorite meal every day for a year. What is it? What is your favorite meal? Tacos. Technically a burrito, but I feel more like it's a taco. I do not really distinguish in my mind the difference between a taco, a burrito, and an enchilada. I understand that they are different things, but in my mind, they are all exactly the same. It is meat, cheese, beans, sour cream, maybe some vegetables wrapped in a flour product of some sort. I don't distinguish between tacos, burritos, and enchiladas. I don't mean that to be offensive in any way to people, but I essentially they're all the same. I'm, I'm not speechless too many times. I mean, that... Uh... That might be one of the more ignorant things you've ever said on this podcast. Okay, so if I take a taco, wrap it in a burrito, and give it to you, you're going to be like, hmm, nope, that's a taco. I can tell the taste difference. 
Well, and if I took a burrito inside, put it in a taco shell, you'd be like, no, nope, I know that that's a burrito and a taco. He's just trying to fool me. You don't know the difference. Yeah, I mean, uh, burritos usually have rice, so I would know that right away. Tacos don't usually have rice. So that's one difference. But I could take a burrito stuffing, put it in a taco, and you're not going to know the difference. I think I would. You're going to be like, who put a burrito in my taco? Probably. That's not true whatsoever. Maybe enchilada because you put something on top of it, but that's the only reason. Otherwise, it's all the same thing. You're, I just feel like you're going to get way too heated, so let's just move on. Uh, second question for you. Uh, which one of these would you uh, rather do for the rest of your life? Eat with a spoon or eat with a fork for the rest of your life? Well, you have to eat with a spoon. How are you going to eat soup with a fork? Just drink, just the only drink it out of the bowl. Right, but what if it's you can't do that? Right? The only choice you can make is fork or a spoon, I'm sorry. You can do everything that you can do with a fork with a spoon, but you can't do everything that you can do with a spoon with a fork. I would it's argue as simple as that. Ramen I, noodles, anything. I mean I ramen noodles you can eat with a fork. Not very well. It's better to eat with a spoon. I mean, I would say, actually, that there's more benefits in a fork than a spoon. No, there's more benefits. The spoon can carry things. How are you going to eat peas or corn? You know how long it's going to take you to you know eat what? corn? You know what? I had a I had corn a this evening for dinner, and I ate it with a fork. And I looked around, and I was the only person at my dinner table eating it with a fork. And I thought, maybe, just maybe, I'm the problem with a fork. And then now having this conversation with you, I'm going to eat it with a fork for the rest of my life. Right. I like that. And this is the back to the general theme that we talk about on this podcast is your refusal to acknowledge your own shortcomings. And you double down. Uh, no, I <laughs> actually can I can I can I can I break from this for one second and talk about one quick driving issue I had. God, this is what week. I'm talking about. It's not my every fault. single time. This, Nothing okay. is ever your fault. I'm not the one who should be using a. everyone else should use a fork. Right. What's the driving issue? And let me. I'll look at it. I will All be right. an impartial observer. Well, I appreciate that. So I'm driving down a side street. So upset. I'm, so, I'm driving down a side street. There's a golf course on my left-hand side. You know, like people are golfing, right? Of course, as I'm just taking my time driving down the side street, somebody gets behind me and you can tell they got to go somewhere. So They got to get to the tea time. Sure. I've so, actually had this happen to me. So they're riding my butt. Uh, I get to a stop sign. I... I, I I, I just stop like I, I just stop so I can look both ways, even though I probably didn't have to. But I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. They honk at me. Mm. But here's the thing. Little did I know that we were right next to a tea box. So when they honked, it must have disturbed the, the, the whoever was on the tea box, because all I hear is like yelling now. Like the golfer is yelling at the driver, the driver's back yelling back at the at the golfer, and I just I just drive away. I should have waited to see if anything came of it, because uh, they yeah, were still you yelling. Stuck around. I should have stuck around, but it, like that wasn't my fault. It just, like, but thank thankfully the golfer, because you know if, if he didn't yell at the driver, who knows what they would have done? Probably ran me into traffic. Man, how long were you stopped at the stop sign before he honked? I mean, I, I literally had just, I, I, it was recent. Did I mean, you full stop? Yeah. I full okay. Stop. Because there's like, there's safety precaution stop, which is like, man, you pretty much stop. And then there's, this guy's on my ass. I'm going to full stop. Like I'm legally required to <laughs> I, do. I, I know what you're doing. I know what you're trying to do. And it, 
it it wasn't me trying to be an asshole. I mean, I just I was I stopped because it was a four way stop sign by a golf course. So I thought it would be the how many other was there any cars coming from any other direction? <laughs> no, not even close. Okay, so you asshole stopped a little bit. Maybe I mean yeah. You know, so maybe. you assholes. Okay, how much did you asshole stop on a scale of one to ten? Be honest. I mean, maybe a three. I mean, it, it wasn't anything over. I just made sure that I had come to a complete okay. stop. So if you're saying that it's a three, that probably means it's a five, which warrants the honk. That's not my. Was fault. it a full? How big? How big of a horn was it? Was it like a? Beep? Was it like a? Eh? Or was it like a? Uh? Yeah, the la- the, la- the Was it a reminder, or was it like move asshole? Yeah, it, it was like um like I'm I'm tired of being behind you, like move out of the way. How fast were you going? What was the speed limit? I I don't know. It's between twenty and twenty five. I mean, I, I was going the speed limit. But I wasn't going above it. That's for sure. <laughs> it's not you. Like, look, you are legally in the clear, and you have a good argument to be like, "What was I doing?" But nobody. First of all, I'm not going the speed limit in a residential area. I'm doing ten five over easily, and I'm also not completely stopping. So you encouraged it, and I'm going to have to go ahead and say it in the blame of this sixty four. <laughs> that's it that's that's i knew i knew you were gonna find a way to turn it back then, then as i'm driving away my focus turned to the golfer and i'm like listen it's a weekday morning right what like, are you so upset about yeah, like what are you pissed off about you're clearly not good or, or not that good because you're golfing on a weekday morning uh i mean jesus did anybody uh change their direction of travel in that like did the person in the car start to get out of the car did the golfer come off the tee box yeah, the, if that happened, then you should have stopped. One of my great regrets in life is I'm pretty sure I saw a road rage fight coming, and I didn't stick around long <laughs> enough to see it. And I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> yeah, there, there definitely was the golf. Like the golfer came over to the fence, and the car, Ooh. the car was still at the stop sign. Like you know. Okay. All right. Now that we've established you're at fault. Anyway, so uh, pretty excited about this. I know you're not going to be excited about this, probably. But uh, second week in a row, we're trying something new here. Uh, we're Two in a row. We're John's ba- on the biggest roll of his life. I know. So <laughs> basically, we uh, we put something on Twitter uh, on Monday afternoons, and uh, you get to decide the topic in which we talk about. And uh, this week, it was uh, House of the Dragon, the new Game of Thrones uh, prequel series. Uh, what we had for lunch this morning, the NFL, and uh, and something else that I already forgot about. But... Uh, I can tell you that House of the Dragon won overwhelmingly. And, uh, you know, people must listen because we literally quadrupled their votes from last week. So check us out. Head over to Twitter uh, Monday afternoons and uh, and vote. But anyways, getting back to House of the Dragon, uh, I- I'm sure you have not seen it. Uh, I saw it last night. Oh, you did? Okay. So what, what, I mean, what are your thoughts? It's what, it's a prequel set 200 years before the show. It's about the Targaryens. What What's your thoughts? Needs to get a lot better. The difficulty is, is that mystique, I think, that really draw, drew people in about Game of Thrones, like that first episode of what's going on here. There's a fantasy element to it that was cool, like the White Walkers were cool. The dragons alone aren't going to do that, right? The White Walkers were new. The dragons, like, man, I've seen dragons. Like, I'm not impressed by seeing another dragon. I've seen it. <laughs> and there's not that level of intrigue. Like, because all the characters look kind of too much alike, and it's unclear who's who. 
and you're just waiting on somebody to die. Well, there's there's no. I, it's got to get a lot better. There's no standout like character either. I feel it's the, at least one, right. one didn't emerge from the first episode. Um, other than the dragons, and it's like like you kind of said, I, that was cool in Game of Thrones. Uh, you know the action the, the that series, but on this, it's like we know you have dragons. Like I want to know more about like where'd you get your hair from? You know, like right. Tell me more about you. Your kind. That's that's what I think was so revolutionary about the original Game of Thrones is that they pretty clearly established that Ned Stark was the main character. And you're like, okay, he's the main guy here. And then, if you don't know already, turn off for a second. And then they killed him. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. They fu- No. They well, fucking killed him. Well, shit, te- technically, they, you know, uh, once again, spoiler alert, so you have a one second here. But... Uh, yeah, in, in the first season of that, they kill him and the king. It's like, whoa, they kill both major male leads uh, uh, of the show. Yeah, no, they just it didn't capture that. Uh, out of five stars, what are you giving the first episode? And will you watch three and a half? And will you watch the second episode? Well, yeah, but three and a half. But I'm not interested. Looking forward to the next one. Like, all right. I made a st- I made a stupid mistake the other day. My uh, we lost power uh, here for a little while, and my Fitbit. Uh, also lost power so i didn't get a chance to charge it so it was stuck at the time that the power died that you know that that it ran out of power so i put it on the next day and i'm getting up to like i don't know i think it was like seven thousand steps i have a goal of ten thousand every day and it hit and it hits you know I, I wonder why the time was off right it was like 11 57 11 58 i'm like well it's only a couple hours behind whatever i won't mess with it right now it hits it hits 12 and it reset so when the power, when it its power died, it must have been like seven or eight at night or whatever. And then when I put it back on in the morning, I'm like, oh, you know, like I said, it's only a couple hours behind. And then it hit midnight and it reset. So I lost all my stats for the day. Do you think, honestly, think anyone is interested in that story? Sure. I think everyone, I think, <laughs> I think people have had, I think people have had the same issues. That is one of the things that I cannot stand when people are like telling me about, like, how many steps did you get? I don't care. That's one of the, we're going to do a top five things you don't care of when people talk about. And their step challenge has got to be one of the no, highest on that list. It's not a step challenge. I, I just told you how many steps I try to get a day. I didn't say like. How's that not a challenge? I mean, it's, I, I tell you, it works for me. It's, it, it doesn't, doesn't have to work for anybody. If it, you know, if it works for you, great. For people who are listening, who are younger in the 20s demographic. This is what your life is going to become. Where the most exciting thing that you're looking at on a daily basis is, well, how many steps am I going to get in today? Listen, I got to tell you. And he's looking at his Fitbit, excited. I bet you, do you tell your wife when you get a lot of steps? Are you like, no, I don't. I don't. I, I actually don't really gloat at all. I just, I wanted to tell the story on on the podcast as you we were okay, talking well, about. They, listen, that was... Um, that was definitely a story. Let's just cut it. What's then. the most? What's the most steps you've got in a day? Just there, delete it. Most steps no, in a day, twenty four thousand. Hmm. I'm more just depressed for us as an age group, thirties, forties age group. That this is what we're now like. I didn't say that's where I'm honey, at. I just said a story. My Fitbit reset itself in the middle of the day. Hey, you know what? 
No, you know, I was about to say another story. Let's just go on to the top five here. I'm getting this high. is how this is how you're headed straight for a midlife crisis, right? It's this kind of behavior no. that's going to take you right into a midlife crisis where you realized one day that like the most exciting thing was your Fitbit going wrong, and then you're going to take up like skydiving. Um, okay, are you ready for our top five? I am. This is harder than I thought. So it's a lot of them, right? Yeah. Uh, so our five top five is top five robots. <laughs> it's your number five. Uh, Bender from Futurama. Are you serious? I I was. That's my number five too. Is oh. Bender? <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, he's my number five then. Yep. I think a five is the exact right place to put Bender. Yeah, I I think so as well. It's like I said, I, I'm not even sure I should have included him on the list. I mean, there's lots of of good number fives, but. He's really come up the rankings, though, in the last decade. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Ten years ago, no way would you put him on there. But now it's like, Bender from Futurama. <laughs> Which is, that show canceled? They cancel it and restart it every year. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think it's still going. Uh, okay. My number uh, four is the Terminator. Hmm. Might be a little high for the Terminator, in my opinion. I could see the Terminator being lower. I wouldn't argue if it was two, one or two spots lower. I can understand it. It's just, man, there's so many. So, yeah. What, what's uh, what's your number four? The Sentinels from X-Men. Okay. That's... if Okay. If you grew up like I did, watching the X-Men animated no. series... The Sentinels came out, and the Sentinels were like, that was the greatest animated series of all time. No, I mean, I get it. It's, I I don't think it, I think it's an honorable mention with all the other robots that are possible, but I I think they're there. I mean, I have them on my honorable mention. Okay. What's your number three, then? Uh, So my number three is, uh, I have two. It's Wally and the Roomba. <laughs> Figured you'd like that second one. The Roomba. Okay. The Roomba is like the first real personal robot that anybody has ever had. Yep. In some ways, if you said Roomba number one, I don't know if I would. I could kind of agree with you. Like, that's the first real experience with a robot that most people have. Like, there's a robot doing shit for you. <laughs> yeah yep and it had like a little personality that you could give it it was like a part of your house it, it was dumb as shit they're still dumb as hell but uh yeah they're they are like the i think they're the only universal robot that's distributed that you can buy like on a wide 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 basis that's what i mean you could make an argument that the roomba should be number one it's tough it's uh that's a good call. It's tough, man. What's your number Wally's three? Wally's too high, though, for you. Wally is not... He doesn't have the kind of longevity, right? Like, he's got to be in a couple more movies before Wally gets in. I mean, I, I would agree to a, to a certain degree, but uh, his usefulness and resourcefulness gets him... Uh, I have a lot of trash trash uh, robots coming up, I think. So that's a, okay. you know, that's a theme. My number three is Terminator. I think that's the appropriate point place for terminator not number four i think terminator should be a little bit higher i mean obviously i i, I dig it uh i just either yeah i wasn't gonna put it any higher than four so okay it's your number two uh, optimus prime 
I'm interested to see what your number one is then. My number one is actually Optimus Prime. My number two is R2-D2. That's my number one. We have reversed. Yeah, and really, really, I could reverse either, like two to one, one to two. But I'm going strictly based upon popularity uh, than usefulness like i i mean optimus prime by far he's a badass he'll fight for you i mean he saves the world r2d2 is you know it is what it is but i i think on in terms of a popularity and, and knowing i think more people could pick out r2d2 than optimus prime i agree that more that r2d2 is the more popular one but optimus prime was that franchise really like r2d2 if he's not there eh not Ooh. that big of a deal. Ooh, that's tough. You don't need R2-D2, but you have to have Optimus Prime, which is why I think Optimus Prime is number one. You you do have to have Optimus Prime, but to say that Star Wars could do without R2-D2, I, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. I don't. I can't agree with that. I just. I don't know what the difference between a robot, <laughs> a cyborg, and an android are. Well, now you just open up a case. We'll, we'll let everyone debate that I because I'm not entirely sure either. Okay, you go through your honorable mention while I look up what the difference between... So All right. <laughs> Let's see here. So I have uh, HAL 9000 uh, from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay. Uh, so Journer, that was the Mars rover of 1996 that uh, gave the world its first uh, kind of view of Mars. That was a huge deal. Uh, data from Star Trek. Data. Whatever. Uh, Rosie from the Jetsons. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Uh, Bishop from Aliens. Never seen that movie. Anyway. And Astro Boy. Okay. I I don't know if Mega Man is a robot, technically. I could throw Mega Man in there. I mean, would you say uh, Metroid from Metroid Prime is a robot? Or no, is that a cyborg? No, that's a cyborg. Okay, so here's the difference. An android is basically, an android is a robot that is made to look and act like a human being. A okay. cyborg is a living organism that has robotic or mechanical parts. So I don't think the Terminator is a cyborg. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously strictly uh strictly metal, so yeah, it's not not a cyborg, I don't think. So the Terminator is actually an android, whereas Robocop is a cyborg is how I would define it. Robocop great. Because Robocop's alive, right? Yeah, he's a human that gets shot and then he's brought back to life as a Kind of what you what we talked about earlier. Do you know the name of the guy who was shot? Who's the actual like the human who became Robocop? Brian Anderson. Is that right? No, it's not right. I I don't know. I should know. It's a disgrace. I don't know. Robocop. It was filmed in Detroit. It was yes. They they tried to get a statue of him put up. Now you're going to recognize it, Alex Murphy. Uh. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. I I think we really did a pretty good job of getting the top five robots. I think that those are the best ones. I could be wrong. But I think that we got some of the best ones. There's so many out there, though. So if there's one that you think, no, that should be in the top five, 
let us know. As always, would love to hear from you. Either comment on the podcast app that you're listening to, let us know on social media, or we've got that voicemail, 316-519-7719. I don't actually know if that's the right number, but it's the number that's stuck in my head. Either way, we've got the number linked in the episode description. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.